Uh, first of all, I just want to thank the worship team, like amazing, amazing, and I just thank God just being here today. And, uh, you know, it's not about them, it's about, it's really about Christ. And, uh, you know, I just love seeing all these faces out here. Oh, look at that. I see people I haven't saw in a long time over here. This is awesome. Uh, and, uh, you know, I just see a lot of new faces as well. And, uh, you know, I just, see, I just see something happening today. And that's very exciting. Uh, when the Holy Spirit works through you, and when the Holy Spirit is moving, you can't control everything that's happening. Right? When you, when you submit to Christ and you allow Christ to work, I don't know what, what this sermon is going to be about, right? You know, I've, I've prepared. You know, Randy came to me uh, last week. I was planning to, uh, to uh, preach maybe uh, a month from now, and Randy asked me if I'll preach this week. And, uh, you know, it's like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. And it felt like it was a God thing because the, the week he wanted me to preach, I couldn't actually preach because my daughter had something going on. And so I was like, man, this must be a God thing. God is working, so I'm going to let God move even though I had a week to kind of get this together, right? So, you know, the way that I normally, you know, the way that I normally live life, when God puts something on my heart, I usually uh, have, like, the notes in your iPhone, and so I usually put, like, I have this section where I feel like God has asked me to, to do a sermon about a certain topic or something like that. So I started looking through it. Uh, when, when I told Randy I will preach, I started looking through those topics, and I was like, man, what am I going to preach on? And I asked God what was the, the right thing to preach on knowing that I had a small amount of time. Now, some of these notes are pretty broken out. Like, I've, like, put a lot of thought into it, and, like, God put a lot on my heart. But the one that God really had me focus on had three words, rejoice and hope. And that's all. Like, literally nothing else. I had no more notes on it. So I was asking myself, I don't even know what I'm actually supposed to be preaching about. So I started praying to God about it and started saying, there's something with hope. I got to figure out what God has asked me to preach on. And... It's interesting because I felt like it was a transformation from a week ago and how I was thinking about it to what God has put on my heart today. And so, uh, you know, I, I, I just ask you guys to let, let uh, God move right now and allow God to be able to touch your heart. Uh, you know, we're here for a reason. We don't come to check a box. We come here to, to worship and praise God as well as to be transformed. And so that's why we're here today. And... Um, you know, many of you guys know, uh, well, eight months and 10 days ago. Anybody know what happened eight months and 10 days ago? I got married. There we go, right? So I got married eight months and 10 days ago. And uh, there's probably some pictures of where. There we go. Yeah, so that's my beautiful bride. She was, she was uh, uh, worshiping here today. And, uh, you know, I think about the beauty of getting married and going through, you know, that, that whole experience and, you know, there's a lot of excitement built up when you get married. There's a lot of work you got to do and things like that. And, uh, you know, you hope everything work out right. And, you know, then that day comes. And then after everything's done, you're like, man, I got all that done. All right. So then what do typically uh, 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 a married couple, new, get excited about next? Honeymoon. There we go. Man, this, man, this group over here, man, they killing it, right? <laughs> so a honeymoon, right? And so a honeymoon is important, right? Because you get to go and spend time with your, your, your lovely bride and husband, and you better go off and spend that special time together. Well, it's been eight months and 10 days, and I haven't been on a honeymoon yet. It's not good, right? This is not good. I don't know if my wife is happy about that. No, she's not happy about that, right? So 
you know, but with everything's going on, we got a busy life. We, you know, uh, uh, Patricia, Patricia moved to Shiner with us. We have, you know, we have four daughters, so a lot's going on. We're moving around a lot, and, and there's a lot. They're very active. They're all teenagers. And so, uh, and then also we had other trips planned also. And so we've been doing things, but we haven't been on the honeymoon yet. But I know we will. I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that it'll happen. If it doesn't happen by the first year anniversary, I think you can't call it a honeymoon anymore, right? So that's, my goal is hopefully we can actually make this happen, right? So how many of you guys have been in that scenario before where you was like, you know what? I hope that this is going to happen. You feel positive about it. You know, hey, this job felt, you know, I went and did an interview. It felt really good. I hope that I'm going to get that job. I feel good about it, and I hope that I can get it, right? Or, you know, a new house, or you're looking at a new car, or a relationship. All these things, right, we are hoping and hoping for, right? So many of you guys experience that in life, right? So the question is, is what is that hope rooted in? What is that hope rooted in? And I start to think about this, right, for myself. You know, like, and then I really start thinking about this honeymoon thing because it's been on my mind. I'm like, we're going to do this honeymoon, right? And more often than none, it's more of a wish. More often than none, it's like we have some doubt, and it's more of this wish that we, we hope this happened, we wish this happened, right? And hope from the Bible is a little different, right? The way we think about hope in the secular world is different than how we think about hope in the Bible. Nowadays, hope is expecting something to happen, but not being entirely sure it will. For example, hoping it doesn't rain today, right? I hope it doesn't rain. Well, I can't control that, right? And so I hope it doesn't rain, but there's some doubt that it might rain because the forecast said there's, you know, a 20% chance, right? So that's an example, or hoping my favorite sports team win a championship, right? All these are wishes, right? This is what, this is what life has become, this big circular of, you know, wishing things to happen and being positive about it. For the sake of clarification, let's call that secular hope. All right? So we're going to call that secular hope this hope where we're wishing for things to happen versus hope in the Bible, which we're going to call biblical hope. So we're going to talk about secular hope and we're going to talk about biblical hope. So let's talk about what secular hope is. Best way to define that is go right to the dictionary, right? So what does the Webster Dictionary say secular hope is? It says secular hope is to cherish a desire with anticipation, to want something to happen or to be true. This definition, when you think about it, is based on some doubt or some uncertainty. But biblical hope is knowing that for a fact that God's promises will be fulfilled. It's not this wishful thinking, but it's what I would call confident expectation. There's a difference in hoping, and I have this doubt, but knowing because my God is going to come through. Right? So that's, the, that's kind of the premise of, of, of how we're thinking about this today. So the question is, is what kind of hope do you journey through life with? I ask you as we go through today to just reflect on that. How are you journeying in life today? Are you journeying through life where you're hoping for something and wishing for something to happen, but you have this doubt? Or are you journeying through life saying, I'm going to stand on God's promises? We could probably stop right there. Think about that for yourself. My objective ultimately today is to do two things. 
First, I want to explain what is biblical hope. I want to really break that down. We're going to go biblical with it, right? So we're not going to just kind of hear Peter talk about what he think it is. We're going to go to the Bible and understand what is biblical hope. Secondly, I want to explain what the evidence of biblical hope is in your life. So we're going to understand what is biblical hope and what is the evidence that I'm actually displaying biblical hope versus secular hope. So the first thing we're going to do is go to the Word, and we're going to kind of dig deep. So bear with me, because i got a few things, a few places we're going to be as we kind of understand what hope is. So as we start to go in the Word, let's think about, uh, you know, the Word is kind of broken up in really two original translations, Hebrew and Greek. So we're going to break down what is hope from a Hebrew perspective versus a Greek perspective. So you can get a very good, clear understanding what it was meant when it was written in the Bible of what hope was. So the first word in Hebrew, so there's two, first of all, there's two words that hope is, uh, is translated to uh, from, the, uh, from the Hebrew. And uh, the first word is yakal. Yakal. Or yakal or yashal or something of that nature. I'm trying to say it right. Uh, and that means to wait or to be patient. To wait or to be patient. Yakal is most often associated with waiting on God. It may be waiting on his word, his promises, or actions, such as if you go to Job 13, 15, it says, though he slays me, I will hope in him. I will yakal in him. But sometimes yakal is used when waiting continually or during, uh, such as in Psalms 71, 14. But I will yakal or hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. The second word, so we got yakal, the second word uh, is tikva or kwava, used interchangeably. Tikva means to expect, and it is related to the Hebrew word kwava, which means to wait for, to expect, or look eagerly. Ultimately, hope in the Old Testament means to wait for something with expectation and anticipation it will happen. Not to wait for something and have some doubt on the side. If we keep going here, uh, well, one thing I want to call out, when in the Old Testament, and when you look at the, these, these Hebrew words uh, and look at the definition, it also uh, talked about this idea of being accompanied by joy and pleasure. So that's another thing that's really important. So when I'm waiting for something in this anticipation, you have this joy and this pleasure and excitement around it, right? Uh, you know, I think about like kids or, you know, about to go on a trip and they're waiting to go on that trip and how excited they are and anticipating knowing that they're going to go and, you know, just getting ready for it. There's this excitement build up around it. And that's the same thing when we think about what hope is biblically. So now the Greek word of hope uh, in the New Testament is from the Greek word elpis, elpis. Elpis means to trust and confidence. It means expectation, trust, and confidence. It comes from the, word, the root word, elpo, which means anticipate with pleasure and to welcome. Elpis is an expectation of what is guaranteed. An expectation of what is guaranteed. It's an expectation that's built on the promises of God. Did you know that the word hope appears in the Bible 
127 to 164 times, depending on what translation you use. That's significant. What's interesting is most of it is in Psalms, right? So a good portion of it is in Psalms. However, the second most occurrences is in the book of Job. So the book of Job, you guys know Job, right? Book of Job tells a story about a man named Job who, uh, you know, he was a faithful, godly man who was very blessed. You know, he, he, Job, you know, he had all, uh, lots of wealth, big family, had everything. All of a sudden, it came crashing down. And what I mean, it came crashing down, he had nothing. Everything was taken away from him, including his family. Family, wealth, everything gone, right? Here's the interesting part about it. You know, as we think about that book, there's that verse, and I mentioned it earlier, the verse, uh, Job 13, 15. And Job said, though he slay me, so though he'd taken everything away from me, I have nothing, nothing. But yet, what did he still have? Hope in God. He still had hope in God. He was miserable. He acknowledged that. He acknowledged the painful position he was in, but yet he depended on God and the faith that he had in God. Job's friends, what did they do? They told Job something was wrong with him. They said, Job, you did something or something, right? Something's wrong. So they had doubt, right? Job's wife, what did she do? She, she not only had doubt, but she said, you know what? Curse God and die. Right? Think, think about this. Job got all this stuff going on around him, but yet he still said, you know what? I'm going to still walk in, in my hope and the faith that I have in Christ. And what's interesting is it, didn't just, it wasn't just hope, but the question is, what did that come from? It came from a God-focused faith. Job had a God-focused faith, which helped him have that hope. That faith that Job had to say, you know what, I know my God and his promises, and he's not going to let me down. That's what he held on to during that time that none of us ever could have imagined what that experience would have been like. Not one of us have had to experience what Job had to experience. But yet he still held on his hope through faith. And what's interesting is you ask, well, what about his friends and his wife? What were they holding on to? Their doubt, where did that come from? I would say that doubt came from self-focused entitlement. Took everything away from us. Like, we're going to let God go. Like, I deserve it or something. Right? They walked around like they deserve something versus understanding that everything we have is because Christ. So, again, you think about God-focused faith, Job, self-focused entitlement is the people who are around him. So what is faith? Because I'm talking a lot about faith. I moved from hope, and in my journey of going through this and preparing for this, it moved me from hope to faith. What is faith? So I want to break that down a little bit. The Hebrew word for faith is imuna. And what does that mean? That means to take a firm action. It, it, it's more about what you do than what you know. This is interesting because we say, you got faith, right? Yeah, I believe in this. I believe in God. I got faith. That's not faith. Faith is taking a firm action. The uh, imuna comes from the root word imun, which means to trust something is true. 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of take another uh, uh, detour here. There's another word, as I was researching, I found that there's another word that is also shared, it shares the same root word as imun. Anybody know what that is? We say it all the time, amen. We sit here and say amen, amen, amen. And what, is, you know, what, is, what does that really mean, right? So amen means so it be. But what's interesting is when you see amen, you see imun, and you also understand the other root word that, that uh, amen uh, has to it is hamin, which means to trust. To trust. So every time we say, I didn't know this personally. Say, I'm trying to teach everybody because I didn't know this. I say amen all the time because it feels good, right? It's like, man, that's what we're supposed to do. Say amen, right? Like at the end of, you know, someone praying, amen, right? I just say amen, right? Honestly, let's be honest with ourselves. Do we really understand what amen really meant? Like, maybe you heard so it be before or something like that, but like really just say it, right? I ask you now when you leave and you start saying amen, what amen truly is saying is you walking in God's faith. Amen is saying, I trust that God got me. Right? So let's use that word for what it is and walk in that trust, not just say it because it's natural to say amen at the end of prayer. Right? Let me get back on where I was supposed to be at. So going back to uh, uh, faith, the, the second uh, definition of faith is the Greek translation of faith, which is pistis. Pistis is the confidence, trust, confidence, trust, and reliance on. That's what it means. So you have imuna, and you have pistis. And when I think about faith holistically and break this down, biblically, what it's telling us is that faith requires trust, which leads to obedience, taking action, right? So ultimately, we have trust that because of that trust, we obey and we follow God's instructions and we take action, right? That's what trust is built on. You know, so it's important for us, if you go through the Bible, there's so many, so many stories of trust. And you know, I can rattle them all off. But the point is, is that it's more than about just reading about other people's trust. It's about walking in your own trust in Christ. We got to start walking in, 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 in faith. We got to start believing the things that God has said and stand on that. We can't allow this world to move us down paths that isn't about what Christ really has put forward for us. So how does faith and hope play together? Because again, my, my sermon is on hope, but faith is very connected to it. Let's go to Hebrews 11.1. 1. You guys have heard this, uh, this uh, verse multiple times. It says, now faith is the certainty of things hoped for, a proof of things not seen. Faith is a certainty of things hoped for, a proof of things not seen. Without, without faith, there's no hope. You can't have faith, uh, hope and saying, I got this hope, I got this hope, and you have no faith. Ask yourself, challenge yourself. Are you walking around saying, I hope something happened, and you're trying to say that's biblical hope, but yet you don't have faith? And we just talked about what faith is, right? It's not sitting there crying about something. It's taking action. Hearing what God is asking you to do and saying, I'm going to follow his will because I know that everything will work out for my good. 
So the secular, you know, secular hope in my mind is rooted in self-focused entitlement. That's what it's rooted in. It's rooted in what we want. It's rooted in what's going on around us or comparing ourselves with other people and things like that. That's what, what self-secular hope is versus biblical hope, which is rooted in God-focused faith, which we're standing on the promises of Christ and trusting that God will follow through with those promises. So in other words, biblical hope happens when we turn from self-focused faith or entitlement to walk in God-focused faith. That's when biblical hope happens. When we say, we ain't going to worry about this self-focused entitlement anymore. We're going to walk in what God is telling us to do. We're going to start trusting in God. And I'll tell you something, that takes a personal relationship. It doesn't just happen. You got to start, think about this, guys. Can you imagine, like, what's your whole purpose and your premise of relationships, right? It's built on what? Trust. The people who I'm closest to, I trust more. The people I have a stronger relationship with, I trust more. So if you don't know who God is, how can you trust him? If you don't have a relationship with him, how do you trust him? We have to build a relationship. We have to build a relationship. We have to be talking to God daily, constantly. Like, he should be our go-to for everything. Ask yourself, are you living that way today? None of us perfect. I get it. We all got our challenges. But ask yourself, are you walking with God or are you walking from him? So when it's about us, it's impossible to place our total trust in Jesus. But when it's about him, I believe dead things start to rise. When it's about Christ, we start seeing things happen around us. We start trusting in Christ. We say, how did that work out that way? Right? We start seeing things move. Right? Things that doesn't make sense. And I'm saying today, guys, is that something is going to happen if you give it to God and you start to put your true hope in him and your true trust in him. Something's going to happen. So I just spent the first part of this kind of talking through what biblical hope is. I hope everybody understand it. Right? Again, it's not a, I believe when you go biblical, when you go to the Bible, it's very clear what God is saying. So that was my first objective. I had a second objective here today, which is, what is the evidence of biblical hope? How do you know if someone really have, I believe you can see it. How do you know when someone truly has biblical hope or they have secular hope? How do you know that? Let's talk about that today. I want to go to uh, Psalms 71, 14. Psalm 71, 14. I want you to see the words and read the words as we go through this. But I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. What I've noticed is what follows hope is praise. When I have true hope, praise occurs. We all have a choice. Every single one of us do. We can have hope that we believe is hope and doubt, 
or we can have true hope and trust in God and, lead, and let that lead to praise. And just praise Him. Sometimes people might think you crazy. They're like, man, you got all this going on in your life, and you sit here talking about you praising God. Well, I guess Paul was crazy too. When he's sitting in jail talking about, let's praise God, let's praise God, him and Silas, right? There's a reason why they were doing that, because they had hope. They had real hope. That wasn't this fake hope. That was real hope, right? When you have real hope, you are, you are, you are uh, pleasure and you have peace because this anticipation of knowing God about to move. And the thing is, we don't even know how it's going to work, right? That's the cool thing about it, right? I was speaking to my uh, aunt last night, and, and uh, we were just, I was just telling her I was going to be talking about hope today. And uh, it was interesting because she had said something that really stuck with me. She said, uh, uh, God will always provide the ram. He will always provide the ram. And then the second thing she said was, we can see down the street, but God can see around the corner. Man, think about it. Like, think, that's what's actually happening in our lives. And sometimes we see down the street and we think, that's it. That's all we can do. That's all that's going to happen. So we start having this doubt. But yet we're not trusting that God sees around the corner and he knows really what's happening and he's controlling the whole thing. So when we put our trust in God, when we put our trust in God, we just start to praise. And praise come in all forms, right? You know, I, it's crazy. Sometimes I put my trust in God so much and I start crying like a little baby. Because it's like, man, like why God loved me so, so much that all I got to do is rely on him and then he takes care of everything. So it starts with praise. Praise is the evidence. Praise is the evidence of true biblical hope. So I'm going to break that down a little bit, but I always want you guys to imagine if every person in this room right now, every Christian in this world right now, truly began to live in hope. Not, not the secular hope, biblical hope that was rooted in God-focused faith. What would happen to this world? Imagine the move of God if we all walked in that hope. Imagine it. What would be manifested? What would we experience? I believe there's three things that would happen. I believe three things happen when we praise in biblical hope. Let's go to the actual verses that Pastor read earlier, uh, 2 Chronicles. We're going to go to 2 Chronicles, and we're going to start at chapter 20, uh, or we're going to, uh, chapter 20, uh, and we're going to start at uh, verse 20 as well. Um, as I, um, you know, as I get to ready to prepare for this, the context of this chapter is about Jehoshaphat, who's the king of Judah at the time, and he hears about all these armies coming after them that are ready to attack them. So they got all armies from every side. They know there's no possible way that they can defeat these armies. So they, they just feel like it's going to get crushed in from all sides. And so Jehoshaphat, he's like, man, like goes to God, right? You know, always is interesting because we we're talking about praise, but what did he do first? He prayed. They prayed, they fast, they went to God, right? And he said, God, I need you. I don't know what to do, right? And it's amazing to see how when, when you t walk in God's faith and obedience that God has asked us to do and take action on that obedience, how God moves. 
So we're going we're gonna to walk through that and talk a little bit about as they got prepared and they were about to go and face, face the enemy. So in, in, uh, in chapter 20, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, starting at verse 20, it says, They rose early in the morning and went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, O Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Put your trust in the Lord your God. Put your trust in the Lord your God. And you will be established. Put your trust in his prophets and succeed. Trust. This doesn't work, guys. Everything we're doing as Christians do not work if we do not put our trust in God. We have to put our trust in the one and only Father. We have to put our trust in. So let's keep going. So as we think about the next part of this, it says, when he had consulted with the people, it's 21, when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who sang to the Lord and those who praised him in holy attire as they went out before the army and said, Give thanks to the Lord, for his loving kindness is everlasting. So think about this. You're in a war. You're about to go and fight all these people. You think about you're about to get crushed. What did, what did Jehoshaphat do? He said, all right, let's get, those guys who, let's get those guys who do all our praising and our choir guys. Let's get them out. They ain't the ones that's intimidating. We're getting the, the guys that's enrolled and, you know, about to sing and, and praise. Let's put them to the front line. Think about how backwards that is, right? He said, let's put them to the front line. What, what was the thing there? Praise changed the status quo. That makes no sense. So my first point is, when we praise, we change the status quo. Because the world doesn't see it that way. The world expects us to get all upraised and hyper about it. The world expects us to get stressed out about it. The world expects us to go and talk to somebody about it. The world expects us to go and spend money on it. That's what the world wants us to do. What does God say? Just go in and praise. We change the status quo. We change the status quo when we just start praising. So let's keep going. Chapter 22. Or, or uh, verse 22. When they began singing and praising, the Lord set ambushes against the sons of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so they were rooted. Think about this. When they started to praise, what happened? When they started to praise, the system didn't work anymore. When they started to praise, Think about this vast army who has this big strategy and know how they're going to go and attack Judah, right? But when they started to praise, when Judah started to praise, everything fell apart. Ambushes were set up. The, the system was confused. It was, in, it, was in, it, it was breaking up and cracking. The things that we see in life today that's like, oh, well, you know, there's no way. I can't, I can't beat that. You know, uh, I can't beat this court case because... That's the system, you know, that's how it's set up, right? Or, hey, you know what? I can't, you know, I can't get a better job because, you know what? That's the system. That's how it's set up, right? Or, hey, you know what? 
I got cancer, and you know what cancer does, so that's the system. That's what it is, right? If you have that mentality, that's what you're going to get. But when you go and start trusting God, what happens? The system starts to get confusing. The system starts to break up and crack. The system gets messy. That's what God does. And when you see that and you put your trust in that and you see God working that, that faith just compounds on itself. I can tell you as a person, personally, I've seen it. I've seen it happen in my life so many times where it's absolutely insane where I'm like, there's no way in my mind at first. I'm like, what do you do? There's nothing you could do. And what do I do? I just go to God. I just say, I give it to you, God. I don't know what to do. I'm done. I give it to you. And every time when I've said, I give it to God, he starts to work. Every time I'm trying to deal with it myself, I'm just struggling trying to figure it out. And yeah, there's times when you do something yourself and you get there, right? I'm not saying that we can't actually walk around in the skills God gave us and be able to figure out problems. That's not what I'm talking about here. But there are problems in life that only God can fix. There are problems in life that if you're going to rely on yourself with, you will not succeed. You need God to step in. And you must go to hope, which goes from, that's built on faith, which then goes to praising God. That's what this is about, guys. Are you walking in biblical faith? Are you hoping in God in a way where you're praising him and knowing that he will make a way? So now the, the, the third one. If we go to the third one, which is, I'll call out what it is, it's going to be praise conquers the spiritual forces. Praise conquer the spiritual forces. And as we read from 2 Chronicles 20, 23, so I'm going to start at the end where it says, of 22, where it says, they were routed. The reason I call that out, because what is that, what is that saying? They were destroyed. They were destroyed, Right? God destroyed them. As we keep going on 23, it says, For the sons of Ammon and Moab rose up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, destroying them completely. And when they had finished with the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. They helped to destroy one another. They started killing each other. They didn't know what to do because the system was all messed up. God stepped in. And guess what? We're not fighting the physical, we think we are. We think we're living in this physical world and we're fighting each other. No, there is so much spiritual things going on around us and we don't even see it. So guess what? When we're attacking in the physical, we'll never win in the spiritual. We have to have true faith and true hope so we can praise God and let him do what he do. And so, you know, if I go to Ephesians six twelve, it says the struggles... For the str- our struggles is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of weaknesses, a weakness, a wickedness in the heavenly places. Again, we don't fight. We don't fight for ourselves. We're fighting this battle that sometimes we don't even understand how deep it goes. You know, if you go to 2 Corinthians 10, 3, 4, it says... For, thou, for, for though we walk in flesh, we do not wage battle against, uh, according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh, but divinely powerful 
for the destruction of fortresses. The weapons of our warfare is not the fleshly things that we do. The weapons of our warfare is giving it to Christ and letting God fight our battle. Letting God fight our battle because all we're going to do is praise him because we know God got it. And God never lets us down. His promises are held true. And when we put our true faith in God, this true faith where we're taking action and walking on his will, right? You know, Joseph, Jehoshaphat you know, could have said, I prayed, I fast. Now I'm going to sit back and I'm going to hide and let God deal with the rest. Did they do that? No. They walked out and went right in front of them and started praising God. They went right out there and said, I am going to praise my God. That's what we're talking about, guys. We have to be willing to step up and say, you know what? I'm going to praise God no matter the situation. I am not going to give up because I don't need to give up. I just give it to God. And we give it to him. He works. There's true power that exists in praise. If you didn't know that walking in, I hope you know it walking out today. There's true power that exists in praise. I'm not talking about some, oh, I hope and feel and I want to feel a certain way, guys. We're not talking about feelings here. We are talking about the true God. We are talking about a God who loves each and every one of you. I know a lot of people have had so many things in their lives going on. I know many of you here have. But I'll tell you, you are missing out on what God has for you if you are not allowing him to work for you. God has created this world in a way that we don't understand or comprehend. He created us in a way that we don't understand and comprehend. I can't tell you and answer all the questions of what God got for us. But I'm going to tell you this. When you put your faith in this world, you start thinking that you're God. We start questioning what God got. We start questioning. I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to real quick just do another detour because it's been on my heart. I don't know if you guys heard about this thing called Christian deconstruction. I don't know if you heard about it. It's been going on for about a year now. It's a movement called Christian deconstruction. I actually feel like it's another, uh, another uh, way for Satan to attack our, our church. It's another way for Satan to get into Christians' lives and get them away from Christianity. It's like New Age did its thing, and now it's trying to go a deeper, deeper path, getting right internally going to attack Christians. So this whole idea of Christian deconstruction is many Christians now are questioning their faith. And so they say they're deconstructing their faith. And that's even the definition, deconstructing their faith. So I'm going to deconstruct my trust in God, basically, all right? So I'm gonna, let, let me deconstruct it. And then they want to try to figure out what, if they can't get clear answers, guess what they do? Throw it out. So now you have people at the end of it, the result of deconstructing many Christians say they're not Christians anymore. They said, oh, I don't, I, there's a lot of ways to get to heaven. It's not just Jesus anymore. Many Christians say they're not Christians anymore. That's scary to think about, guys. It really is. Because you know why? They're putting their hope in something else. They're putting their trust and faith in something else. Right? Other Christians who have deconstructed their faith say, no, I'm still a Christian, but I'm taking certain aspects of it out of it. This part of the Bible don't make sense to me, so I'm going to take it out. So that part I don't agree with anymore. How can you take the living word of God and say, I'm going to take parts of it out? 
So I, I'm going to say this with hesitancy. hesitancy. I'm going to say it because it, it really was something that came to me in my heart here recently. I learned about all this deconstruction stuff in the last week. Didn't even know about it. This is why we need to go and educate ourselves. Because there's a song that came out recently and my buddy was telling me about it. He's like, yeah, you heard that new Lecrae album? I was like, no, I ain't heard it. He's like, you got to hear it. Hot. And I like Lecrae. I'm a big Lecrae fan. All right. I'm a big hip hop, uh, Christian hip hop fan. I love, I love Lecrae, his, his music, his team, all that great stuff. Heard the album about, I don't know, a month or so ago. And as I'm listening to the album, I'm like, man, this is the best album Lecrae has made. I'm listening to the lyrics on it. I'm like, man, this is amazing. The music production, amazing. I got it on the girls in the car. They're like, he keeps playing the same songs over, right? Because I was like, this is really good music, right? And then one of the songs is called Deconstruction, right? I heard the song, and I was like, this is amazing. I am not trying to funny. It's funny. I was like, this is amazing, this song was, right? Because, like, it's amazing how he took this idea, a concept of deconstruction and reconstruction, and I'm thinking that Lecrae came up with this, right? Without me understanding some of the deeper challenges around what deconstruction really meant. And as I dug in deeper, I realized that, like, knowingly and not knowingly, Lecrae is now promoting something that is causing Christians to say, I'm not Christian anymore. And there's some problems with that, guys. My whole point of that is not to down Lecrae. I still like his music and things like that. My whole point here is, is that we have to educate ourselves and understand what God is really telling us. And when I think about the whole deconstruction thing, it became real simple to me. Real simple. Those Christians that are deconstructing has never had a relationship with Christ. I, there's no possible way in my mind to believe that you have a real relationship with Christ and you now tr you're questioning it. It's like me saying, I have a relationship with my beautiful wife and, you know, everything about her, I know she cares about me, I know she trusts me and things like that. Now let me just start all of a sudden, start deconstructing it because I had a bad day, right? It goes beyond that, right? And I know a lot of it, they say, stems from the church and they feel like, you know, a lot of, a lot of people are deconstructing because they feel like the church is, uh, you know, um, using their influence and things like that. I get all that. I can understand you could be in a bad situation, but let's call it for what it is. The church, the people in the church are all human and men also. They're sinners, right? Nobody's better than anybody. I'm not better than anybody. Pastor Randy is a sinner. Y'all might think he's a great guy. He is an amazing guy, right? But he's a sinner, right? All of us are sinners, right? So if we're making our moves, think about it. I put my hope in the man on the stage at the church. So if I put my hope in a man on the stage at the church and he lets me down, what happens? My trust goes away. But if I put my hope and trust in Christ Jesus, who never lets me down, truly never lets you down, you won't have that problem needing to deconstruct. So my, my point here, guys, is that choose faith and hope. Choose faith and hope and know that God moves when you do that. Know that biblical hope is not an optimism. This is not an optimism. I don't want you to just be happy. I mean, we're going to be different. We're going to have different emotions. But it's really about going in and choosing faith and hope. And when you start to do that, you'll find out oh, that you're very peace. You're at peace. You have this praise and joy that you can't have. It's something deeper than what's going on physically in your life. 
So choose faith and hope. We need hope based on God-focused faith. It motivates us to take action because life is never-ending flow of hardships that we have to go through. When we have biblical hope, we can navigate through all this turbulent waters, all the craziness in life. Biblical hope looks towards the future. It's not the past. It's looking towards the things God got for us. And I want each and every one of you to know that God has something for each and every one of you. Something special. Don't let it pass by because you're putting your trust in something else. Put it in God. We have an opportunity to posture for something greater today. And as we listen to this last song, I ask you to just allow God to work. Allow God to be the one you put your trust in. Whatever you have going on in your life right now that you know you're doubting right now. Because you know some of, us, some of us out here right now doubting something. Whatever that is, I want you to bring it forth. I want you to put it out there. Don't be ashamed. Guys, I'm going to be straightforward. And I'm sorry because I don't get a lot of time to, to be up here and talk to you guys. But I love each and every one of you. But I'm going to tell you guys, God wants us to talk. God wants us to put ourselves out there. And when you do that, you will see something happen. You have to be willing to do that, though, because that's the, that's the action, right? Putting yourself out there and saying, you know what? Yes, I'm broken. Yes, I have a problem. But here, here's what. I'm giving it to God, and I'm just going to praise him. I'm going to give it to him, and he'll take care of it. And when you do that, you feel different because you know God got you. You know God got you. So I'm asking you guys, as we get ready to sing, sing here, I challenge you. Not, not for t tomorrow or next week or something like that. I challenge you right now, right now is the opportunity for you to choose praise. Right now is the opportunity for you to watch God move. So I'm going to let the, I'm gonna let the, the worship team uh, do their thing, but their thing is really God's thing. They're doing it as con conduits of God. Let God move. Choose praise. Thank you.